Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio a live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I think we're having a few. Oh, there we go. Okay, now I'm on. Okay, welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the word to stand on for life. All of you out there can pray that we don't have any more technical issues today. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Our program's purpose is to answer your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. All you need to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always if you are out in your car if you're driving the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen you'll be connected directly to our studio producer hey just to give you a little bit of scheduling information for our church I'm going to be teaching a new book tonight starting in a new book 2nd Thessalonians so we open uh, in chapter 1 tonight I'm going to try to get the whole chapter but we'll see how that goes I don't always make it that far uh, and then on Sunday, of course, I am in Mark chapter 14, and we're getting ever closer to the cross of Jesus, the cross that saved your life and mine. Um, had an interesting morning today. Um, we say goodbye to a, a lady from our church. We love her with all of our heart, and now she's with Jesus, and we're all jealous of her. Um, but um, she she lost her life to cancer. Uh, courageous battle, and and to the end, all she wanted was to live for the Lord. Um, but what was interesting about about this morning for me is I, I got a chance to spend some time with another pastor who um, has radio programs uh, here in San Antonio and on this station, uh, Pastor Rander Draper from Maranatha Bible Church. And uh, we were together because they were generous enough to uh, offer their sanctuary. We've got a small place in school is is here, 
going, but they were generous enough to offer their sanctuary uh, to us for a funeral, um, uh, and we just had a blast. I I really enjoy Randers' ministry. He is a, a, a wonderful Bible teacher. He is a a fervent proclaimer of the need to walk in holiness, and I just, just had a blast. We met a bunch of people. One of the neat things for me was that a lot of the people at his church who were also there uh, for the the memorial service, uh, they listened to this radio program. And they had lots of questions about the program. It was just really, really good time. I'm trying to work out a, a program where I can get Rander over here uh, to Calvary Chapel and uh, and speak to our people. Just what a what a blessed ministry, and uh, what a, what truly a, a godly man. So I had a blast today. I know you're not supposed to say that at a funeral, but when I know somebody's in heaven, my funerals are fun. So I hope that's I hope that's the case for you as well. Let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Here is our first question. It's from Randy. And I'm going to leave out a, a couple of names here. Um, uh, my daughter was approached by a guy in the neighborhood while jogging this morning. Uh, he says he's a messianic rabbi. Uh, he was asking her about where she went to church and other small talk, I assume. He told you, her to give you, meaning me, his card. Um, I'm only sending you his card to get your input. Uh, I tell her about being very careful while jogging, especially with all the construction workers. Uh, we're building homes in and out of the area there. Um, and then in parentheses, right, but she is friendly and innocent in in these things sometimes. And then he says this, I know Messianic Jews believe Jesus is the Savior. I assume they're very legalistic. Anyway, it just seemed a little odd and um, creepy to approach a young lady on the run, uh, but maybe I'm too protective. Feel free to use this anonymously on the radio show if you like. Randy, I'm sorry because I already used your name, but I'll keep uh, your daughter's name out of it. Um, yeah, I don't know how creepy it is. You know, I talk to strangers all the time, but I, I will say this. Um, Messianic Christianity is sort of a mixed-up hybrid. Uh, and yes, they're saved. Uh, I have no question that they're saved, and that's certainly not um, even to be challenged. But but here's the problem with Messianic Jews, and it's even a bigger problem when people come to me and say, well, I'm a Messianic uh, Gentile. In other words, I'm being Jewish um, uh, with Christ as my Savior. You're missing out on the freedom that God wants to provide for us. Uh, I, I say this often, and we, we get questions about Messianic Judaism uh, a lot, but, um, you know, when when the Apostle Paul got converted, when Peter, um, James, John, and the other disciples who would be apostles, they were all Jewish, um, but, but they didn't stay Jewish. They became born-again Christians. And that's what we should have. And so uh, the idea of a messianic um, congregation is just not not real healthy. Again, they're saved and they, they have the freedom of expression. They can worship the Lord any way they want. But, but somebody who goes backwards into Judaism rather than forward walking with Christ, that man or woman is missing out um, on... on uh, on what God has for him. So I would just say be really, really careful. And you tell your daughter, who I love very much, Randy, that that uh, I say to her to be careful as well. Thank you very much for the for the question. We've got Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Can you hear me? Jimmy, I can hear you fine. Thanks. Well, I, something... Um 
something um, happened to me this morning when I was on duty, and uh, it was a blessing. But uh, and I wasn't supposed to go up there, but something told me to go up there, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, there was a homeless person sleeping on the uh, in front of the restaurant on, on the bench, and uh, so I went up there and. And uh, the other uh, officer was there, and two, and then I was like, so they were covered up with this silver, uh, silver uh, blanket. And uh, when I walked up cautiously, they uncovered themselves. It was just two young teenage girls, and huh? and it broke. Oh, they, my they were pain. the te- the teenage girls were homeless, Jimmy. Yeah, one was sixteen and the other one was like twenty-one. But oh like, my. but but they were and, I, and they spoke only Spanish and I was like, and I said, "Oh my God, you're two young kids," and and then uh, and I was speaking to them in Spanish and I asked them, uh, "What are y'all doing here?" And they said, "Oh, we're waiting for our bus to pick us up." And I said, "Well, where are you all coming from?" I said all this in Spanish and then. Um, they said we're coming from Venezuela. Oh my! And I said, "Oh Lord!" I said, "And I said, so you, so where y'all going? And where, where they're going to take us to Houston?" And I was like, "Oh," I said, "I see." So she showed me her itinerary, and then she, uh, she showed me, she had a packet, you know that that they gave them. I guess they gave them an envelope packet, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know. Um, I, uh, I, it just broke my heart because, because we got, even Christians today, even I did it, and, I, and God just showed me, you know, Jimmy, Christians are complaining too that these people are coming here to the United States and they're, you know, they're, they're taking our money and everything. I said, you know what? The money I give you, Jimmy, the money that we make is not yours. It belongs to me. The job that you have is not yours. It belongs to me. I gave you that job. And we are here to be good stewards. We are here to witness to the world. We are here to to bless the world. We're not here to judge them. We're not here to to uh to to say you know, to complain. We're here to help. So all I all I can do is just pray. I said, May God bless you and may God protect you because what I saw, I saw my daughter. Yeah. I saw her, I saw her, an image of her. And I said, God, Lord, you know, I hope they don't fall into human trafficking yeah. or something like that. But, yeah, Jimmy, you know, let, me, let me say something, and this is for the whole audience. Only when your heart breaks uh, are, are, do you have any right to have an opinion in something like this. Uh, I had a question about immigration um, and and our national laws and policies um, earlier this week. And and one of the things that I said was that, um, you know, we're not in a position as individual Christians to do anything other than vote. We vote for people in our government. This is a representative republic. And, And we vote for people and they make the choices for us. If we don't like the choices they make, then we can can um, cast our vote uh, the next time the opportunity presents itself. But see, here's and what Jimmy is doing is really important. 
because when he comes face to face with someone who's in uh, this kind of a difficult situation, uh, his heart breaks, and our heart has to break. Uh, Jimmy, I know they're they're out of the, uh, out of the way now, but. Um, you know, we can help people like that. And as Christians, we ought to help them. And I don't mean just throwing them a few bucks, but uh, we could help them with places to stay. Whenever we have the opportunity face-to-face to minister to somebody in such need, um, it's it's our obligation. You know, Paul said, I'm indebted both to Greek and Jew. In other words, to foreigners and, and my own people. I'm going to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is action as well. And um, to, to see a, a, a teenage girl and and a, and her and her adult, but but still um, young sister or friend, um, you know, all, all we can do is be available to them, and to see them shipped around our country like this is just, I think, horrifying. And and we really, really need to keep. Um, the people that we come into contact with in prayer. That's, that's the only venue we have, Jimmy, uh, to, to minister to people. And um, again, I want to emphasize your broken heart gives you the right um, to minister to them, to have an opinion, and to reach out to them because that's the heart of Jesus Christ in you. The, the love of God, Romans 5, 5 says, poured out or shed abroad into your heart by the Holy Spirit. And that's the ministry we have. Jimmy, thanks. If you see him again, um, give him our phone number. Give him our phone number. Hey, a couple of things. Uh, you know, we have a, a, our big uh, evangelism event, Joy of Jesus, coming up uh, in October. Uh, we're less than four weeks away from it now, and we are going to be ministering to a lot of homeless people. But this year, more than any other in the past, and we've done this for like 24 years, um, we, we've missed the last two years because of COVID, the city wouldn't give us permits, but now we're going back into the park, and it is a huge outreach. I think it's October 22nd. My producer's nodding his head. So October 22nd from 11 to 3 at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio, and we'd love to invite uh, the people who listen to this radio program down there to see exactly the scope, the magnitude of this thing. Um, we'll take our doctors there. We'll have uh, barbers there, hairstylists there, um, makeup, makeover artists. We'll have um, uh, food, clothing, uh, music, all kinds of things. It's a big, big deal. We're really not quite sure what to expect this year uh, because many of the homeless uh, people are in the immigrant or near the immigrant center downtown. And we're expecting to see a lot of people. We'll give away bicycles. We give away um, just crazy things. Um, and it's just, it's a day, we call it a day of kindness, a day to express the joy of Jesus. And it's a day when we can do what Jimmy was with broken heart. We can minister to people um, that uh, are in, in impossibly difficult situations. So 11 to 3 on October the 22nd, that's a Saturday. Um, you know, one day doesn't fix their life, but one day gives us the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. And we'd love to, to see you out there. Uh, we'll, we'll have all of our people, and there'll be hundreds of our people out there. Uh, they'll all be in identifying shirts. So um, if you if you get out there, and we'll talk more about this. In fact, I'll have Pastor Juan, who heads up this ministry on the program, uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. Um, uh, if you get out there, uh, be sure somebody gives you the opportunity to find me, and, and I'd love to meet you. 
Jimmy, God bless you, and thank you for your broken heart. Oh, those are hard things. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question from a man, a male. How does free will exist in heaven? Does it exist? If there's no evil or sin in heaven, then there must not be free will, or then must free will be removed. You know, it's 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 uh, hard for us to explain because in these sinful bodies, the sin nature that we have. Um, you know, we struggle all the time with with the choices that we make, and God, of course, extends us the freedom to make that choice. He doesn't force us to make one choice or another. But here's the thing. In heaven, um, we're going to be like Jesus. So our free will will be exercised the same way his free will was when he was here on earth. Remember, he had no sin nature, and he said, I only do that which pleases my Father. And that will be the case with us as well. So it's not a matter of no free will. It's just that when our sin nature is removed, and that's a situation that we can't even begin to understand in these sinful bodies. But but our free will choice will be to, to serve Jesus because we'll be like him. Uh, we'll be in glorified physical resurrected bodies. And uh, all we'll want is the fullness of Christ and um, in heaven, of course, there won't be any evil. There won't be any sadness. There won't be broken hearts. Uh, there certainly won't be homelessness like this. So when we get to heaven, um, it will be the desire of our hearts to serve Jesus, and we will be able to exercise our free will to do so unencumbered by a sin nature. I hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. It's just really hard to explain as long as we're contained in these uh, uh, sinful bodies that we have now. Good question. I like when people are thinking about heaven. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is another anonymous question. He says, I see godly parents in church whose adult children are not walking with the Lord. Then I see parents whose walk is anything but strong, but whose adult kids have fallen in love with Jesus. It leaves me feeling like parenting is a roll of the dice, is it? You know, um, the one thing God won't do, the one thing he can't do, you know, we, we always say God can do anything. Here's something he can't do. He can't override our free will. So the, the idea that we need to understand is that there are no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. He has only children. And each of those children have to make their own decision, their own free will choice to serve the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of kids grow up in church um, they see hypocrisy in their homes. They see a mom and dad who say Jesus with their lips, but their lives say something completely different. They see uh, a, a mom and a dad who uh, oftentimes appear not to like each other, let alone love one another. And they hear arguing and, and uh, the, the, the hypocrisy uh, hardens their hearts. It sets them on edge. The, the Apostle Paul, writing to the churches in Ephesus, he says, uh, fathers, do not embitter or exasperate your children. And I think we who are parents, we have to understand that the most important thing that we can do for our kids to ensure that they walk with Jesus is to s- make sure they see that we love Jesus with all of our heart. Uh, it can't be lip service. Uh, It can't be, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm too tired to go to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't really take time to read the Bible. I don't really spend much time in prayer. That that kind of Christianity isn't contagious. Uh, 
um, what happens when a mom and a dad really love Jesus and they really love each other is that those kids then grow up. And even if they make some bad choices, those kids grow up knowing that mom and dad's Jesus is real. And then when they get in trouble, then they know where to go. They know where to run. Train up a child in the way he should go. And in the end, he will not depart, Solomon writes to us in Proverbs. Uh, that's not a guarantee that the, the, the children of Christians are going to follow Jesus. It just means they're going to know. It also means that the Holy Spirit will be given free will to chase them down. And, and he will keep chasing them. He loves them more than, than we as parents do. So I think what we really have to do as adults who are parents is take responsibility for our walk. I always use this as an example, but one of the great movies that, that I've ever seen, it's Remember the Titans. It was a very popular uh, movie that was out there about segregation in the South and how a high school football team that was forced to integrate uh, got along together. And, of course, they didn't get along together at first. But when they were still fighting, you know, the defensive star uh, and then the, the new black kid, uh, who was also a star, uh, they were sort of jealous of each other. They hated each other, and they couldn't get along. And the white kid, of course, from the year before, was the captain of, of the defense. And um, uh, he was complaining about the black kid's attitude. Your attitude stinks. All you care about is you. And, and he looked at the white captain and said, um, attitude captain, reflect leadership. And that principle, that's one of those spiritual lines you'll ever see in, the, in, in a movie. Uh, that's what we have to understand. We've got to love Jesus. And if we don't love Jesus, then our kids are going to see through that hypocrisy. Um, parents who's, um, uh, who, who are, are like lukewarm with the Lord or parents whose walk uh, is, is um, inconsistent at best, um, you know, those kids are being prayed for, and they're hearing the word, and the word has power. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is the power of God and the salvation, and the Holy Spirit is going after them. Is it a roll of the dice? No, it is setting an example, making sure that your Jesus is worth being received by your kids. Let's go to Jim on line one from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks, Pastor, for taking the call. Uh, a mm-hmm. question about one of the scriptures that a brother was asking about yesterday. But also, just as an encouragement to you, Pastor Andrew, I really love him, too. He's got a great ministry. When I was attending Alamo City uh. Christian Fellowship, he came to our church and shared with us, <laughs> and it was a blessing. And then our pastor went over there, and some of their men and women came and shared with the ministry of praise and worship, and we did the same thing. And they encouraged us to go over there and, you know, kind of visit with him. So I, it, it's good. I <laughs> I appreciate y'all's, y'all's church. You're, you have a rainbow. You know, you have a lot of people from different ethnic backgrounds. But yeah, just yeah. for us to be intentional, you know, and just to, I don't know, we're all one body of believers. So I, I think that was really helpful. And they have a great church over there. So it was just helpful. Yeah. If I find somebody Jim, that may want to fit in there, you know, because I've been on the Surrenders Church or the Churchy Pastors. I mean, I've been there. So I know kind of the, the fellowship there. So it, it was a real blessing. 
Yeah, actually, it's funny you mention it because uh, he and I spoke about that very thing. I would love to have him here to speak uh, with our guys. He said, yeah, I'd love to have you. So maybe we'll swap pulpits. But uh, honestly, when he's here at our church, I want to be here to hear. I, I love the guy. I, I love his message. I've been listening to him on the radio for a very, very long time. And and uh, I, I just love the commitment to personal holiness that, that he represents for his church. His, his people are being taught well. What's your question, Jim? So... My younger brother and I, in Christ, were talking about the Scripture, take every thought captive, and how we do that practically, uh, day by day. And uh, so just, some, just your own insights on how to do that. You know what? I thought about Ananias. It's interesting, what Peter asked him is, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of land when he said, oh, we sold it for this much? But I, I wonder, can you maybe progress for people you've met that maybe got in a really bad place because they didn't? Take their thoughts captive and really got in a pretty pretty bad place. Yeah. You know, Jim, I can I can tell you unequivocally that, that people who don't take their evil thoughts captive are always going to end up in a very bad place. Uh, this is necessary for life, for 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 life in the spirit uh, and taking a thought captive. You know, we can't be responsible for the thoughts that that, that come into our heads. Um, temptation comes, ugly thoughts come, hatred, uh, envy, jealousy, all of the bad fruit of the flesh. Those thoughts come, and we've got to take them captive, and we have to do it immediately, or those thoughts will begin to 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 take uh, hold in our minds. And the way we do it is simply to recognize, Lord, I know where that thought comes from. I don't want anything to do with it. I choose rather to think. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 uh, is the alternative. Uh, whatever things are lovely, whatever Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, uh, think on those things. And um, and the way we do that is simply to exercise personal discipline when those thoughts or temptations come in. One of the things that I do, uh, Jim, is when, when ugly thoughts come, and I have terrible nightmares, so I do the same thing when I get up in the morning. I, I've just got to dismiss all those. I know the source. And I, I just say, Jesus, I don't want to. I don't want to listen to him. I don't want to talk with him. What I want is to be with you. And I run into the presence of the Lord and see when we do that, then those thoughts can't take hold. And it's the only way we can protect our walk with the Lord. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We've got thirty minutes left in the program in the week. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program the last 30 minutes of our week you know i'm so busy these things are just time goes so fast um before this question let me let me mention something that jim mentioned in the last phone call uh, obviously, he's been to our church um, in the past a time or two, um, and, he, and he remarked about the diversity in our church. Uh, I've never seen a church that is as diverse as ours is. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's nothing that it's not something that we planned. Uh, it, it's just what happens when you open the Bible and teach it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. 
Um, God brings people from everywhere, and uh, the diversity in this this church. You were here on a on a Sunday. Uh, you'd see people from every race, nationality. You'd see people from every socioeconomic group. Uh, you would see people from from all ages, from just out of high school in love with Jesus to those of us who are, are seniors and then some um, who really, really love Jesus. But that's the neat thing. People that really love Jesus, they go out and they bring other people. And our church used to be a perfect picture of our city. You know, San Antonio uh, is 60% Hispanic. Um, uh, I think 11% was the last number that I heard uh, for African-American. Um, um, our, our church was w- way more than 11% uh, African-American. Um, uh, the 60% Hispanic is very, very close to what our church makeup is. But we have a bunch of Asians, people from different countries. Um, uh, it's just it's just an amazing diversity uh, here Um uh, we're a, a military community, a lot of retired military who are here. So um, that's that's what heaven is going to look like. That's what heaven is going to look like. It's it's just an amazing thing. It was really, really great, as Jim pointed out, uh, for me to be with Rander and uh, and people in his church, the people, the, 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 the woman who uh, went to be with Jesus. Um, her family started out at their church. And um, it's just amazing. They're just brothers and sisters in the Lord. It really was uh, a neat time. So um, we're looking to see churches uh, forget all of those things. Um, Here is an anonymous question from a man. He says, I used to believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, but I've seen many contradictions. Many times when I ask about these contradictions, people give some good explanations and some are weak explanations. Some of the contradictions are the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew and Luke, many events after Jesus' death, how the empty tomb was discovered, and how certain events in each gospel differ. Do you have any explanations for these? I do, and let me say before I even offer those explanations. Let me see, when somebody says uh, there are contradictions, Luke's gospel is is designed to present Jesus in his humanity. And John's gospel, of course, is designed to present Jesus in his deity, the man who was God, and, and thus the emphasis on miracles. So we got four different people with different purposes reporting on the same events. Now, if, if one of the gospels said, uh, for example, there was only one angel at the tomb, and, and said just like that, I saw only one angel of the tomb. And then another gospel said, no, there were two men in, in white clothing. Um, then that would be a contradiction. But you see, the one gospel writer is focusing on the angel who spoke. That's all. He's just, just telling the story um, from his perspective and focusing only on the one and ignoring the one that was silent. Um, the the other is taking a step back and getting a bigger picture, and and getting more details in it. But but those are not contradictions. Um, the genealogy of Jesus. There's no contradiction. One is the genealogy, the legal right for Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. Remember, that's what Matthew's goal is, and that's why the genealogy of Jesus is through Joseph. 
the legal right. Women had no rights in the ancient world, especially in the ancient Jewish world. And so uh, they had a legal right in Joseph's genealogies included in the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's Mary's genealogy. Remember, Joseph was not the father. He was the, we would say, stepfather. Uh, but um, Jesus didn't come from him. He, he was, the, the, God was his father. And, and that's the only way there could be no sin nature given to Jesus. And and so Luke just gives us Mary's genealogy. That's not a contradiction. That's extra information. Now, let me also say this. Usually when I get a question like this, this represents pretty lazy Bible study. Because we'll 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 talk to other people and say, Yeah, I believe in the word of God and so we say, Oh, that's full of contradictions and, and people will point out these simple things. And, and and we're kind of embarrassed. Well, I used to believe it, but yeah, you're right. Those are contradictions. Just study your Bible. I say all the time that you've got to be personally convinced that the Bible is the Word of God. It's got to be something that's important enough to you to make an investment, a study investment in, so that you can know whether or not you can depend on it. If the Bible is not inerrant, then we have no Bible. There's no value to the Bible if if it's not inspired, if it's not inerrant. If it's not inerrant, then what we do, and you can see this happening, and I believe, I, I think I mentioned this in the program on Wednesday, uh, I believe we've already seen the beginnings of the great falling away. That's how close I think we are to Jesus' return. And I think that, that, that's, that, that falling away from the truth of, of God's word has already begun. And if we don't know for sure we can count on the word, then we're going to be won over by this world. So these are not contradictions. There aren't any contradictions. There are a few copyist errors, and and that would be expected. But we've got so much evidence for the, for the veracity of our Bible, that one only needs to be interested enough to find out what it is. And most people just would rather get on the Internet and look up sites that claim there's all kinds of discrepancies instead of finding out for themselves. And I'm, I'm just going to say this as bluntly as I possibly can. If you do not believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, then you're not walking with Jesus. It doesn't mean you're not saved, but it means you're not walking with Jesus. It's impossible to walk with Jesus unless we have the the, the map. You know, when Paul and I, uh, Paula mentioned this in, in the program yesterday, we were in, uh, we went to a city that we haven't spent much time in, La Jolla, California, for our 50th uh, wedding celebration. Um, um, uh, you know, I, we needed Siri in 1,000 feet, turn right. We get close, go through this set of lights, and at the next set of lights, turn right. They were telling me, if I couldn't trust Siri, we'd still be tooling around the streets of La Jolla lost. Well, how much more important is the Word of God? So this is, this is a response uh, to, to just lazy spirituality. It's got to be something that's important, because if it's not, then we're just going to start throwing out pages of the Bible, and the way we're going to rationalize it is, well, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of contradictions. 
There aren't any. And I've challenged everybody who's ever said this to me to show me the contradictions. And they can't. I was a journalism major in college. And, um, um, you know, a, a journalist reports the facts. Who, what, when, where, and why. And um, if you get two journalists covering the same story, you're going to get slight differences in detail. And that actually increases the validity, the inerrancy of our Bibles. If they were all word for word, we've got three Gospels that are synoptic. That means they were taken in large part one from another and they were shared around. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, John's Gospel was written much, much later and there's no discrepancies. Um, the, the, The three synoptic Gospels don't have every detail reported the same because they're coming from different perspectives. But but the the, the consistency uh, with four different personalities writing these gospel accounts is overwhelming. So it, it's just a decision that you've got to make, Anonymous. Uh, do I believe it? And the next time, for the rest of you in the audience, the next time somebody says, well, the Bible's full of contradictions, then you just say, show me one. And if you don't know how to dig out the answer, you can call me and I'll tell you how to dig out the answer because there isn't any contradiction in our scripture. 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years and it has remarkable consistency and clarity. And it's the the one decision that will make your walk with Jesus fruitful. But you've got to know you can depend on it. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Anonymous again from our email inbox. Um, He or she says the Battle of Magog and Gog and Armageddon during the seven-year tribulation with the question mark. In Revelation 27, it re- 20, chapter 20, verse 7, it references the Battle of Magog and Gog in the same verse as the thousand-year reign. I was under the impression this battle occurred prior to the thousand years. Also, post-thousand years, when Satan is released for some time, the Bible gives us no further info. Is that correct? And last question, the New Jerusalem is after the millennium and Satan is released for a time. Let me take those three questions. Now, the, the, the timing of the battle of Gog and Magog is um, there are legitimate differences of opinion. Nobody really knows. I believe very strongly, my opinion is strong here, um, but there are people smarter than me who have the other opinion. Um, I believe that this will happen after the rapture of the church at the very beginning of the Great Tribulation. Uh, There are some who believe it will happen before the rapture of the church. I don't see that as a reasonable possibility, but reasonable people disagree with me. So it doesn't really matter when it happens, but um, it's during the Great Tribulation and and. Then, after the seven years, that's when the thousand-year reign comes. So, um, the Battle of Magog and Gog will occur before the thousand years. Your second question, post-thousand years, when Satan is released for some time, the Bible gives us no further info. 
Is that correct? Um, the, the only info is motive. God is going to let Satan go. He is going to be, during the entire millennium, uh, he is going to be bound. Uh, and, and you can just imagine how angry he's going to be. He's going to be bound, and at the end of the thousand years, he's going to be released. And the reason he's going to be released is to give people a choice. You see, during the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, there's not going to be any opportunity for people to rebel against God. Rebellion against God, sin against God will be punished immediately and justly. Uh, the thousand years Jesus is ruling and reigning, you know, we, we see him as, as our loving God. and He's, he's going to be a dictator, a benevolent dictator, but a dictator nonetheless. And what that means is that there's going to be multiplied billions of people who are born during the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth in their flesh and blood bodies. Now remember, we're going to be in our glorified resurrected bodies and we're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. But the people in their flesh and blood bodies um, who are born during that thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, they're never going to have had the opportunity to choose to serve Jesus or not serve Jesus. And so after the thousand years, or at the end of the thousand years, Satan is going to be let loose and he's going to, to give people a choice. And the Bible says, and this is staggering to me, after a thousand years of perfect holiness and perfect justice um, um, with, with a loving God as our benevolent dictator, um, the Bible says he's going to deceive multitudes of people just described as, as being like the number of, of grains of sand on the seashore. So lots and lots of people. And that's going to demonstrate that the problem has always been us. You know, we, we say, well, you know, it's it's environmental. Uh, it, it's the, the way we grew up or or the, the lack of parenting. Um, we have bad breaks. Um, in the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, there's not going to be bad breaks. And people are still going to rebel because in our flesh and blood bodies, we want to sin. And uh, Satan is going to be released for just a short time. He's going to deceive people. And then the great white throne judgment is going to occur. And those people will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will remain forever and ever. Um, last question is the new Jerusalem is after the millennium and Satan is released for time. Yeah, after the thousand years, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And um, and um, that that's sort of our reward. The earth will be completely new. Uh, and the new Jerusalem will be um, um, the center of attention on earth, just as God always intended it to be. And, of course, there will be a new heaven as well. I can't wait to see what that's like. But but, but really, um, Anonymous, we, we don't, we're not given any information. Those are going to be some of the secrets that the Lord is, is uh, revealing to us um, day after day after day after day in heaven. I can't wait. Here's a question from Jake from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. Can I get your insights and wisdom? I have to admit, I envy marriages in the church when both husband and wife are fully sold out for Jesus. In my marriage, I feel like my wife doesn't want to fully sell out for Jesus as I have. I begin to feel guilty because everything is always about Jesus for me and for her. It's just her going through the day. She's fine with being a Sunday listener and nothing more. When I'm serving, I leave her and our small kids behind. 
I believe I'm being the best example I can be at home. How come the Lord doesn't answer my prayers and have this marriage to only live for Jesus? I desire for my wife to be with Jesus as much as we ought to me. Um, Jake, a couple of things. You know, um, I've had I've had men say, well, you know, my wife is holding me back. I've had some women say, my husband's holding me back. Um, nobody can hold you back. You sell out for Jesus. You serve. Um, but, but here's a place where you need leadership in your home. Um, you and your wife need to be in the Word of God together. Together. And as the man in the home, it's your responsibility to do that. Now, obviously, if she refuses, you can't force her to do it. But here's what you can do. With your consistency, you can just let her know, I'm going to be here every day or every night at this certain time, and I'm going to be reading the Bible, and I'm going to be praying that God will put it in your heart to want to join me. And you do it consistently. You do it consistently so that she can see. The second thing I want you to understand is that a wife needs to benefit, practically benefit, from your passion for Jesus Christ. You know, if if you're frustrated with your wife, I, I promise you that she feels that. So these are things that as you're reading the Word together, you can talk about. And this is a work, Jake, you can't do. This is a work the Holy Spirit has to do. And so shower your wife with love. Make her feel like the most beautiful, the most precious, the most loved woman on the face of the earth instead of making her feel like you're disappointed in her because she's not as sold out for God as you are. So here's what you do. You make her see and experience just what value there is in being married to a godly man. So that's what you do. When you go to serve, take her with you. Ask her, just, just here's a place where you can trust God by faith. Say, I don't want to go serve by myself. I want you to serve with me. So would you at least pray about that? And, and for your kids, don't give them a choice. You're the dad. You tell them that you're going to church. You're going to serve together. We've got a great ministry here called Growing in Servanthood. And um, um, it's kids that are serving with their parents. Um, I, I just love to watch families serving together. Because... When we do, um, God knits our hearts together. And so that's what you need to do. You need to stop trying to be the Holy Spirit for your wife and let the Holy Spirit work. And your role is to love her, to make her feel beautiful and precious, as I said, but, but, but also ensure that she benefits rather than seeing herself as a disappointment to you. You get her on the couch, you sit down, you open the Bible, you read it together, and you just talk. And here's what will happen. God will knit your hearts together. He'll win her heart. I promise you that's the case. If she's really a believer, he'll win her heart. But she's got to see that being married to a godly man is the best possible thing that could ever happen for her. Jake, hope that helps. I'll be praying for you. Here is a question from Albert. Uh, he says, should Christians ever vote for a pro-abortion candidate? Albert had a question like this earlier in the week, and uh, my answer is no, I don't see how a Christian can ever vote for for somebody that is going to support murdering uh, the unborn. I, I just don't understand it. Um, they may not like the other candidate. They may have some other issues uh, with the, the, the doctor, doctrines or the issues that the other candidate has. 
But you see, there's a time when you've got to just sort of sit it out and say, you know what, I can't vote for either of these men uh, because this one wants to kill babies and then whatever the issues you have with the other direction. But no, I, I can't. I just can't understand a Christian ever casting a vote for a pro-abortion candidate. I don't know, Albert, how we could ever explain that to the Lord. I just don't understand how we could ever do that. Well, I'm a lifelong Democrat. It doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, you belong to a different king. And our responsibility is to vote our conscience biblically. And we do that by agreeing with Jesus. So I hope that helps, Albert. Thank you for the question. Um, This is a question from Micah. He says, how would you respond to someone who says they won't believe in God unless he does a miracle for them? And with so much pain in the world, why doesn't God do miracles? Um, Mike, a couple of things. God still does some miracles. He doesn't do them here in the West as much. Miracles, remember, are are assigned gifts and the assigned points to something. And that something here is Jesus. The problem is, in in the United States, we don't need signs. Everybody knows about Jesus. He's Everybody's exposed to him. And they've already made the decision to reject him. Now, how would I respond to someone who says they won't believe in God unless he, he does a miracle for them? It's simple. I would tell him, you're not telling the truth. That's not honest. And I'll ask him, what do you need God to do? And I've put people on the on the spot many, many times. Okay, what do you need God to do right now? And 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 they'll tell me and I'll say, Well, if, if God did that for you right now, would you surrender your life to Jesus Christ? Well, I don't know. The point is miracles don't lead anybody to Jesus Christ. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. So I would respond with the gospel. I would respond challenging them to examine for themselves whether or not the word of God is true and maybe ask some questions. What kind of miracle do you want God to do? Um, with regard to your last question, with so much pain in the world, why doesn't God do miracles? I, I'm going to posit here, Micah, that that um, sending his son to die for our sins and that son having died is alive is a verifiable miracle based on overwhelming evidence. That's a pretty good miracle. What more would you have God do? The piece of, I want God to do this. You know, before I was saved, I I prayed a lot. God, help me win this bet. Help me win this race. Help me. Just, just, it was all selfish. You know, those aren't the kind of prayers God can answer. He's certainly not going to do a miracle for those. You know, one of the things I'll say, Mike, is, is we were, when Paul and I were in La Jolla, we just saw so many people, homeless people and people that were, were just in miserable, miserable condition. And and I had the same thought. I just said, oh, Lord, I don't want any attention, but if, but if only I could lay hands on people and just touch them and they'd be healed or be in their right mind. And then I'd just walk away into the sunset making sure you got all of the glory. Hey, we all want God to do those kinds of things. But remember, the pain in this world wasn't caused by God. The pain in this world, well, let's just say that God, Jesus Christ, is the answer for that pain. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Been a good week on the show. Thanks you, Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. Lord willing, I will be back here on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.